Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, modernizing the government's cyber hub. The VA reaches out to vets in need and the pillars of the Biden administration's cyber strategy. It's Monday, September 19th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast sponsored by Salesforce. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Grading agencies on chief information officer reporting change should stay in the Fatara scorecard, according to federal CIO Claire Martirana. She tells the House Oversight and Reform Government Operations Subcommittee keeping those reporting metrics on the scorecard would give CIOs, quote, a voice as strategic executive C-suite partners. Martirana detailed the information technology operating plan her office published in June. Federal government CIOs aren't as involved in day-to-day operations of their organizations as private sector CIOs, according to the Government Accountability Office. GAO's Kevin Walsh writes, one problem is Congress hasn't specified in law what the job of the CIO is. Walsh writes, formalizing a job description in law for federal CIOs would result in more consistent IT strategy across government. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Voting's open now for the 2022 edition of the FedScoop 50. You can vote for your choices until September 30th and we'll announce the winners November 3rd. You can find a link to see the finalists and place your votes in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has new orders for federal agencies to patch their systems. It's adding six new items to its list of known exploited vulnerabilities. Bob Costello is the chief information officer at CISA at Defense Talks Thursday. He tells FedScoop's Billy Mitchell how his defense background informs his work at CISA. My career started as, you know, an enlisted uh, airman many, many years ago. Uh, And it really kind of taught me Uh, you know, consequences when you make mistakes, how to react to them, uh, but also just how to be uh, a really good leader and a really good, you know, person overall. It's not like this superstar out of high school uh, that, you know, is going to do great things, um, as the police told me. Look at you now. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, the, the Air Force really taught me a lot about that. It also taught me a lot about technology, how to react to things, how to do uh, projects sometimes the wrong way. Uh, you know, we were doing a very waterfall back then. Uh, but I think the most important thing it taught me, uh, and it's really helping us with our hiring right now, and I know uh, Director Easterly believes in this as, as well, mentoring people, starting with, uh, you know, junior troops and and then really growing them into to, to leaders. And that's something that, you know, we're pivoting our recruitment strategy a little bit, maybe not going after the most senior people, but but starting with more junior people, and that's something that I, I really look forward to. That's very helpful, and that's a great uh, background, so thank you for sharing that. So CIS is well known for protecting the networks on the civilian side, but you obviously have a big role to play in the nation's critical infrastructure. The defense industrial base is obviously a part of that, so I'd be curious, you know, in that larger mission, what does that entail for functions like the defense industrial base as you're looking to protect what is, you know, frankly, a large swath of, of industry across the nation. Yeah, it's, it's really, and, and someone highlighted it earlier, much of the critical infrastructure in this country, in fact, most of the critical infrastructure is owned by the private sector. Uh, and we saw a little bit of that this week with, you, you know, a potential railroad strike and then the impacts that, that could happen from that. And CISA plays a big role in that. Uh, the National Risk Management Center does a lot of consequence analysis. 
and through that we're seeing, you know, if, if rail stops and certain chemicals can't get to where they're going. And when a, you know, there's a lot of big issues in, in that. We saw, you know, during the pandemic, uh, in some cases, the fragility of the supply chain. Uh, so CIS is really spending a lot of time on that, and that of course helps the, the entire country as well as the Defense Department. Uh, I think one other area that we're working with is, I think we're seeing a much more vocal CISA uh, than in the past, and certainly a lot more vocal than it, when it was, you know, the MPPD organization under DHS headquarters. And with that, we're seeing a lot more uh, partner outreach. Uh, you know, the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative is private sector and public sector uh, interacting with CISA, and that's shown some good results, particularly around uh, Log4 uh, starting last December. Uh, and then we're doing a lot more out, outreach, uh, and we're also staff, staffing up our field element, which is a little bit smaller than the, the rest of DHS's field elements. Uh, but you know, we're up to about 800 people uh, in 10 regions, you know, interacting directly with critical infrastructure um, partners, uh, you know, across the country. So a lot of CIS's mission is to fo focus externally, helping other partners out. Um, but a lot of what you do as the CIO is to focus internally and modernize uh, as, as a CIO would do for any organization. So I'm curious, as you're thinking about modernizing CISA, what are you focused on? I know you just the CISA just came out with a new uh, strategic plan. And part of that is to kind of un unify CISA as one. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm sure uh, your role plays a lot into that. But um, you know, how are you thinking about the modernization of CISA and curious as you're doing so, do you ever take a, a, a page out of somebody else's playbook, say somebody within the Department of Defense? Yeah, no, absolutely. So that's one of our big challenges uh, right now is modernizing the CISA's, uh, CISA's internal IT infrastructure. And that's something that uh, you know happens in partnership between myself and the Cybersecurity Division. Uh, but it's a big challenge because you know something else you learned in DOD too is sometimes headquarters doesn't always know what the warfighter needs. Uh, and that's what we're still facing a little bit is, you know, we were a headquarters element, we're not anymore. Uh, so we're shifting to an operational focus. Uh, some of the other areas that we look to DOD to, there's a lot of great work out of the Army on how are we getting soldiers, you know, access to information. Does it always have to be on GFE? Can it be, uh, you know, not? Can it, and, and that's something that we're really excited about also as well. Uh, we're trying to really uh, you know, we face the same thing sometimes over classification of things, but we do have people in remote locations that, that need access to classified information. We're trying to work real closely uh, with, with DISA and, and others in DOD to kind of take some lessons learned and see if we can apply them at CISA uh, to enable our mission a little bit more. Let's close briefly with the topics of hiring and talent. It, it's, it's something we see universally across federal government, DOD, CISA, DHS, wherever you may look, there, there's a, a need for more talent. So uh, I know CISA and DHS have gone on a, a major push to bring in more talent to your organization. I'm curious how you're thinking about that as CIO. Sure. Uh, well, first, you know, we have the cybersecurity service now, which uh, shares some modeling with the D defense cybersecurity service. So that's given us more authorities and flexibilities on pay. Uh, elsewhere, we, we are looking, uh, you know, a really strong pivot uh, on more junior and developmental tracks uh, for our employees. And then, of course, uh, remote and, and telework options are a big part of it. Uh, you, you know, what really goes into it is making sure you have the right leaders at the, the top to, to guide uh, the, the new employees as, as we go along. So I think right now we're also making a you know big focus to make sure that we're looking at uh, you know HBCUs and other areas that maybe did not traditionally have uh, great recruiting from the federal government.
Bob Costello, the CIO at CISA, with FedScoop's Billy Mitchell at Defense Talks. You can find a link to see the video of that conversation and all the sessions from Defense Talks in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Department of Veterans Affairs has a new program to help vets and spouses. It's running the program through a partnership with Salesforce. Mike Nolan is senior manager of the military recruiting program and global president of VetForce at Salesforce. And Salesforce sponsors today's Daily Scoop podcast. Mike, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. How did this program at VA get underway? What was the impetus behind this to get it started? Welcome. Thank you, Francis. Um, you know, it, it really... This all stems from the relationship that the VA has solidified with Salesforce. Interestingly enough, it's the largest deal in Salesforce's history, but the VA really embraced the idea of what Mark Benioff talks about it as business is the greatest platform for change. So it's just not like, are we running your systems and getting all the, the, the processes in place? Yes, but we're also using our technology as a platform through Trailhead, which is our online learning platform to distribute information, not only to help veterans or anybody who served, but our families, our coworkers, and people that we report to. Um, so it, it's really just that, I guess, the customer 360 relationship that Mark Benioff talks a lot about. The training modules focused around veterans' mental health and resiliency resources. And, you know, we've talked on this program before about some of the uh, the just the terrible problems that VA is trying to help veterans with. And and these are two of the biggest ones, mental health and resiliency. Yep. Well, it's um, it is something where heck, I'll even say that I took the trail. I'm one of uh, over, I think there's 2,100 people who have already taken this so far. And this, uh, this was just a soft launch that was done in July, but it gives, it gives you resources. And even one um, in particular, it's called Make the Connection. This is where if I was deployed in Iraq or if I was in Afghanistan, if I didn't see combat, if I did see combat, you could connect with a veteran and hear their stories from pinpointing it down to you know, what your service was, uh, what the conditions are, like what your symptoms are, um, and also give resources to, to friends and family, you know, what to do if they see that, you know, their friend, a veteran may be struggling. Um, that was one of the most impressive sites that I've seen. What's the takeaway from this that, that you want veterans to get both from a Salesforce perspective and from a VA perspective? What does someone who goes through this come out of it with, Mike? Hopefully it's, it's aware, it's access and awareness of resources, but also to just to drop the, the heavy exterior, the armor of being that that tough guy, that tough woman that you know you can do it and, and you don't need your help. Like just use that as, as just knowledge that your other community, your brothers and sisters and, and, your, and our spouses, you know, they've they've broken down. It doesn't make you less of a man or less of a woman but it gets you to the point that you're vulnerable. And this is where you can get the help that you need. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. That would be my biggest message to our community. You sent me some background material about this, this module in particular and the trailhead uh, uh, in, in general. And this is the number that jumped out at me. 52% higher risk of suicide among veterans compared to non-veterans. I, the raw numbers are, are terrible when you read about them. But mm -hmm. that proportion is really striking to me. How does this particular module, how does this training go about helping a veteran understand that she has options or that she has choices or that there are resources available to her? 
Well, it, the biggest thing is just getting the getting the awareness out there, spreading the word about this trail. Because all you really need to do, for instance, is just pique the interest of somebody. Like if I'm talking about it, somebody overhears me. That's the biggest thing we can do is just you know make these resources, which very simply cut it right down. It, it's like the cliff notes of reading a book. Cuts it right down to here's what here's what's available, and then you know what aligns with where your challenges are right now. And, and that could be, you know, like anything from PTS, it could be, um, you know, potentials of, of thinking about suicide, it could be drug addiction, alcohol addiction, like the A to Z of resources right there. So the, the biggest thing I think we can do is spread the word about this, make more people aware about this, get them to go on and take the free trail, because once they know the resources, they can then pass them along. This is not the beginning of your uh, pr- uh, partnership with the Department of Veterans Affairs. Give me some backstory on how that came about and some of the other things that are available to folks, this just being the latest of them. Yep. So uh, I will I'll start this off by saying I was not part of the sales team and, and was not involved in the deal. But um, but I remember Mark Benioff talking about um, on the Q2 earnings call that you know, this deal isn't something that happened overnight. This was six years in the making where we had to kind of chisel away. And it was that very tough VA exterior that like, no, we, we're good. We, we know what we're doing. But then, you know, we just kind of just got him a little bit of exposure to here. Here's what we can do. Um, and, and Mark, the one thing, even though this is the largest deal in the company's history, the one thing that Mark mentioned he was so most proud of with this is that we were using our technology and our solutions to be the front door for those who served and our families to be able to access the, what they need for services and, and you know take out like all the antiquated systems that would frustrate people so much. So now he gets to use our technology or his technology, let's say, to make our lives easier in the military community. What's the end result look like? What do you what what comes about when this is mature in your view? What's kind of the vision for it? You know, um, I would say the the thing I would focus on is this is the beginning. We have made a great stride. This is a partnership that heck, you know, anybody who's worked in, in technology for a long time, they'd, they'd probably be scratching their heads going, all right, how did you work that business deal in and then get this content out and still have it all tied together? So, you know, as, as Mark uh, likes to use, and we use this term a lot in Salesforce, we're blazing our trail. So who knows what next year, what, what you know, next quarter may bring. But the good thing is, is that we have the open relationship now and we've got one trail under our belt. Like, What's what's sky's the limit right now? What more can we do? So that's that's the more thing that I'm focused on. Um, I, I'd rather not have uh, that finish line because that means we're going to continuously be working. What uh, what are the kinds of things that you would like to do next? What what is important from your perspective as the head of your company's military recruiting program and the military and ally employee resource group to continue to do in this area? Well, it's it's land and expand is the easiest way to, to talk about this. The first thing that Salesforce made the initial commitment to the military community was in 2015 when they launched the Salesforce military training platform, which all 18 of our technical certifications, if you serve in the military or if you're a military spouse, it's free training and free testing for you. That equates, if you are in the first certification, the t- statistic is, is that you should expect a job at 92000 as a starting salary in these jobs you can work remotely. So 
Most of these jobs in, in complete transparency, it's to provide the technical talent to our customers and partners. So as we take on a customer, our partners and, 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 um, and the customers out there, they need these technical people and they need this, those resources. So that's the Salesforce's first commitment. Um, the second one, the employee resource group, it's grown from, I'm in my fourth and final year as global president, but it went from 1,200 employees to now just short of 4,400 employees spread across 25 regional hubs globally. So we do work from volunteering and fundraising with you know, the, the big dogs, Wounded Warrior, Blue Star Family, um, but we also do work with an organization called the Children of Fallen Patriots, which helps the families with collegiate expenses if, you're, if the um, husband is or wife is killed in the line of duty, but then also right to what we're talking about here. Um, organizations like One Tribe with Jacob Schick and, and All Secure with Tom and Jen Satterley. These organizations focus on mental health. So now the fact that the volunteer work that we've been doing and bringing these, these nonprofits in, and actually been, a lot of them have become customers of Salesforce and they're using our technology too. This is kind of the evolution that, all right, now we're using a business unit from the sales team, the public sector team to expand this. So. I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I love the growth, the investment that Salesforce has put through. It's evident because um, I blazed my own trail here. I was a sales recruiter for six and a half years and I was pounding the walls and, and stomping my feet for two and a half years to say, we need a military recruiting program. And as soon as they came out with a quality hiring goals, I, I, was, I got you now because the military community, if you're a veteran, we check every other box. The only one that doesn't is, is the white veteran. And so when I show them where the military community is, is a very diverse community, they couldn't say no. They're like, all right, we didn't know about this. So now they created the military recruiting program. So, hey, if they just keep investing, at the, you know, I'll take this slow and steady pace, or I should say the steady pace. They keep investing in the community. I, we're just going to keep growing it and then ultimately be a global reach. The VA is obviously very pleased with the training program because they mentioned on their website, the partnership, it says, has since helped 1,200 veterans and veteran spouses place into new and high-paying jobs in tech industries. What's the potential scale for that, do you think? I mean, is it just dependent on how many eyeballs you can get into this program as to how many vets and spouses might be able to, to gain this knowledge and experience? You know, Salesforce increased their, they doubled their their investment from the first year to the second um, from how many fellows that they would sponsor. So essentially, if you were a veteran military spouse or transitioning, you could apply for one of these HOH fellowships, the Hero Hero fellowships. They would um, be placed at a customer or partner for a 12-week uh, fellowship. And then the conversion rate, um, it, it, was, it was very high. It was 90-something percent of our customers and partners then converted those fellows to full-time employees. Um, you know, hey, like, like I said, like Salesforce doubles their commitment again next year, then we could be, you know, the, that, the program team could be looking at 200 and 250 fellows in a year. So starting to build those numbers up. Mike, congratulations on the great work that you're doing on behalf of Vets. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for joining me today. Francis, thank you very much. And I appreciate you having me on. Have a good day. You can read more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Salesforce brings the public sector and customers together in the digital age. To access the new Veteran Mental Health and Resiliency Resources module, visit trailhead.salesforce.com. The Biden administration's promoting a billion dollars available to state, local, and tribal governments through the Infrastructure Act for cybersecurity. 
The Department of Homeland Security released a notice of funding opportunity Friday. Ann Newberger's Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technology at Defense Talks Thursday, she details the administration's approach to cyber. So the administration's approach has really been first, a relentless focus on improving the security of critical infrastructure. As we look around the world, we see nation states, criminals using disruptive and destructive attacks against critical infrastructure. And as we think about pursuing American interests, ensuring Americans are safe at home and abroad, really improving the security of critical infrastructure is a foundational part of the work we do. And of course, the defense industrial base is one of the most important critical infrastructure sectors is the reason you're all here today. I'll note yesterday's announcement of one really important component, tech, software. So in the executive order the president released a year ago, we said, let's bring the power of US government spending on technology to fundamentally improve the security baked into tech from the bottom up by design. But how does one do that? Yesterday, OMB released a memo that lays out how from a government perspective, we will validate that software we purchase meets the rules that NIST defined in how it's built, how it's deployed, how it's maintained. And that's foundational because at the end of the day, I come from, from a background where I had the privilege to both run offensive and defensive operations, and I saw how much easier it is for an attacker than a defender. And to really make the roles of defenders easier requires us thinking about security as we build code. And that was the purpose of the OMB guidelines. That was the purpose of the work the White House has done engaging the open source software community, particularly after the Log4j incident. So that's the first part of our efforts. The second is bringing, foreign partner, bringing partners together around the world because wherever we travel, whether it's a hospital in the UK, whether it's a hospital in France, whether it's companies having their intellectual property stolen in countries around the world, Around the world, governments are concerned about disruption of services to critical infrastructure, about disruption of growth in their economy and jobs from R&D and other information that may be stolen via cyber hacks. So we work closely with governments around the world. One key effort I'll lift up, because we have a meeting at the end of October, is where 36 countries from 30 time zones will be coming to DC for the first time in person to work together on countering ransomware. We've had a virtual effort running for a year that included countering illicit use of cryptography, of, of cryptocurrency to fuel attacks, disrupting attackers and networks, and diplomacy, working to discourage countries from offering safe harbor to attackers. So those countries will be coming together for meetings to coordinate our work. That is the work that we as governments owe to the private sector, owe to our citizens to link up arms because so much of the infrastructure is shared and so many of the attackers and infrastructure that's used are in various countries around the world. And finally, ensuring we have the capabilities to deter these kinds of attacks. We need that same relentless focus for the DOD community specifically. Much as our service members are on the front lines, our networks and our technologies are on the front lines, both in enabling us to defend American interests, keep the world safe, as well as in ensuring that in times of crisis, we can protect the country at home. And each of you has a role to play in that. And I thank you for being here today, for the discussions you'll have, the people you'll meet, the great ideas that will come out of getting a room like this together. Second, 
For that area specifically, I wanted to lift up some of the work that's happening across DOD in that area. DOD Zero Trust Strategy that's in the final stages of being released. There's CMMC 2.0, the focus on the DIB that will be going out to public rule shortly. And the really enhanced intelligence sharing for this sector, specifically by a NSA Cyber Collaboration Center, DC3, DCSA, and DCMA. Some stats on that. NSA's Collaboration Center, I'm told, has shared information with 250 DIB companies, representing 80% of DOD's acquisition space, many of whom are small and medium businesses, who are also enrolled in cybersecurity services offered, recognizing that they have fewer resources to invest in cybersecurity, and as a government, we have a shared role in that. Third part of DOD's approach, addressing the technical debt in our weapon system, a recognition that any internet-connected system, any system that's connected on its way out, also offers a path for an adversary on its way in. And we didn't always consider that as we built weapons platforms. There's significant technical debt, and a shout out to the service CIOs who are playing a key role in that. And finally, a workforce. It all boils down to people. There's never enough cybersecurity professionals. And thinking about creative ways to ensure that we offer these opportunities to a more diverse set of individuals who may not have a college degree, can get certifications, prove their hands-on skills, and immediately jump in and contribute to a mission they're passionate about. So with that, I wanted to thank you all for being here today. Thank you to our hosts and really encourage you to please relentlessly pursue the work you're already doing to secure DODs today and DODs tomorrow. Thank you. Deputy National Security Advisor Ann Newberger at Defense Talks. You can find a link to see the video of that speech and all the sessions from Defense Talks in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns tomorrow. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.